Welcome to the Modern Mexico Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Parrish. In today's episode, we're talking about security issues in Mexico. Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, was elected in 2018 in a landslide victory, in part because of growing frustrations with Mexico's long-standing problems with violent crime. As a candidate, López Obrador promised to invest in social programs and send the military back into the barracks. As president, however, he has embraced Mexico's military to a higher degree than any of his recent predecessors. Current trends of violent crime in Mexico are alarming. Over 100,000 people have been killed in Mexico during López Obrador's government. If current trends continue, López Obrador's administration will be remembered as the most violent six years in modern Mexican history. But rather than adjust his strategy, López Obrador has chosen to attack his critics and lobby Congress to change Mexico's constitution to give Mexico's military a more permanent role in policing Mexico's streets. In one recent press conference, he downplayed the idea that current trends in violence represent a crisis and refused to amend his strategy. Que no vamos a cambiar la estrategia. Porque nos está dando resultados. Pero es que no debería estar tranquilo. Yo creo que esta es una emergencia nacional. No, 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 no. During another speech, he attacked critics who questioned the role he is giving the military and accused skeptics of militarization of being corrupt, out of touch fascists. Solamente los retrógradas, facciosos, corruptos, que están enojados, ellos son. admiradores de fascistas. The security situation in Mexico is complex and the rhetoric surrounding public security debates in Mexico is highly polarized. In today's episode of the Modern Mexico podcast, we're speaking to Vonda Felbab Brown, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a think tank in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the podcast, Vonda. So I know you were in Mexico earlier this year working on some field research related to the topic of organized crime. And I'm wondering, what was the most interesting thing you learned while in Mexico? Well, thanks uh, for having me, Nate. Um, I would say the the most stunning uh, finding really was the extent to which criminal groups were taking over legal economy. Um, such as fisheries, such as legal logging. And uh, not just uh, in terms of extorting uh, legal businesses, which is something that had been going on in Mexico for a long time, uh, but really taking over the entire vertical chain of a particular industry like fisheries. Uh, This is particularly true about the Sinaloa cartel, but it is a model that other groups emulate, including uh, the cartel Jalisco Nueva Generacion. And were you surprised at all at the level of penetration that organized crime has achieved in the seafood sector? Or is it similar to trends you've seen in other sectors? 
No, I was really surprised by the extent. It's really not just extorting the businesses, but um, in some cases, setting up their uh, own processing plants, certainly demanding that processing plants um, uh, uh, process the fish that uh, the narcos bring, uh, having the processing plants issue fake uh, certificates, uh, imposing on both uh, artisanal fishers, legal and illegal, as well as large fishing fleets that they only sell um, their product uh, to uh, the narcos, uh, imposing that uh, on hotels that they only buy a fish from a particular criminal group that has dominance uh, in some areas. And of course, shutting down uh, access to other criminal groups, so really setting up monopolies from purchase to uh, demanding that um, businesses only uh, buy in the fish uh, or, or seafood products that the criminals bring. Um, so really extraordinary uh, takeover of the entire vertical chain with um, a real disinterest and passivity uh, on the part of Mexican authorities. Okay. and. I know that um, some of the things that you saw in the seafood sector seem to be pretty similar to the trends I saw uh, in the avocado sector uh, when I was researching for my book. And I know in the state of Michoacan, I saw firsthand how um, avocado growers um, had experienced extortion by organized crime groups, but also how organized crime groups had moved into packing and exporting avocados to major shopping chains in the U.S. And I think in, in Michoacan, um, we've seen how some efforts to reduce violent crime have existed side by side with ongoing and unabated organized crime activity. And I know you study organized crime and security issues all over the world. And I'm wondering, in general... Uh, what are the key policy moves that you think countries need to make in order to meaningfully improve public security and reduce the influence of organized crime? I'll come uh, back to uh, public policies in a minute, um, Nate, um, but let me just reflect with you on Michoacan, which is one place where I also went for the research. So I was doing lots of the fisheries research in Baja California Sur, um, but I went to other parts of Mexico, including Michoacan, and absolutely the picture that you painted regarding avocados is very much the dominant story there. And in fact, the takeover of the businesses has moved beyond avocado, any kind of valuable or even less valuable agricultural product in Michoacan is controlled by different criminal groups that it is not so much the Sinaloa cartel, more so Guerreros Unidos or Carteles Unidos these days and Cartel Jalisco Nova Generacion. And the same uh, domination of the vertical chains applies to corn, um, any kind of grain, um, citrus. And of course, uh, the criminal groups are in complex ways involved also with land theft, deforestation, overexploitation of water, both being perpetrators but also sometimes keeping other squatters um, out of the lands. Uh, and of course, in Michoacan, there is also a tremendous amount of illegal logging, both to clear areas for agriculture, like avocados. And in some cases, um, there are still some um, 
valuable hardwoods, although those are sparser and sparser. And Michoacan is uh, just yet another example where um, the Mexican government has um, uh, occasionally um, sent in large forces. This was certainly true during the Calderon administration. And um, last year, in the fall, uh, President Lopez Obrador um, also sent in, um, this time, a combination of the National Guard and the military. Uh, but as um, um, I saw, um, most of the time they simply stand on the streets. So that was quite close to actual firefights, including very dramatic battles, such as by the Cartel Jalisco Nova Generacion against um, the Carteles Unidos that have involved depopulations, um, using drones uh, to drop primitive bombs on local populations to drive them out. And often this is happening really under the noses and under the eyes, in front of the eyes of um, the forces, the National Guard and the military, and yet they do not um, intervene in it. As one uh, public security official that uh, told it to me, uh, the National Guards have simply become uh, the most uh, expensive mannequins uh, in Mexico. So what can be done? Well, the first element is that um, the Mexican government needs to devise a comprehensive uh, law enforcement strategy. And that is absolutely lacking in Mexico. There is nominally a security strategy that um, uh, rests the effort to reduce criminality on a long-term effort uh, to provide socioeconomic opportunities to those who could potentially join criminal groups. So marginalized, underprivileged segments of the population. And I welcome that strategy. I have often advocated it in various parts uh, of the world, uh, advocated such programs as an element of a strategy. Very frequently, governments uh, err on the opposite side. They only have law enforcement approaches, however bad or good, and no recognition that uh, providing um, socioeconomic opportunities, legal livelihoods, a sense of of social mobility through legal means is vital. Under President Lopez Obrador, um, the situation, the the so-called strategy is skewed completely to the other side. There are these often inchoate, uh, amorphous, and sadly, rather frequently corrupt um, socioeconomic programs, many of which uh, amount to handouts. I visited some in Michoacan as well. Uh, But there is no law enforcement strategy other than occasionally uh, uh, sending forces to stand on the streets and more or less do nothing. Um, And that's um, uh, really just disastrous. And it's disastrous in Mexico because the violence has become um, so brazen. Um, The the level of homicides is very intense. Uh, The operational tempo is very similar to uh, what a country in an intensive war experiences. Um, but beyond the intense operational tempo and the warlike quality of um, some of the exchanges between uh, the criminal groups and between them and state forces. There is just also a tremendous amount of, of brazen uh, display of violence, brazen challenge to state and society, shutting down roads, the narco blockades that were playing out um, a few weeks ago in uh, even the very important uh, business centers like Tijuana, like Ciudad Juarez. 
um, brazen forms of violence. So uh, developing um, uh, a law enforcement strategy is crucial. And the law enforcement strategy needs to have several components. It needs to be able to secure uh, communities at the local level. Now, that's a big problem in Mexico where um, local forces, local police forces are very weak, very underfunded, often very corrupt, lack capacities, and are frequently infiltrated um, uh, very intensely uh, by criminal groups. So reforming local police is crucial. But the government cannot simply outsource its principal responsibility for public safety to local actors. It also needs to uh, have a national level strategy that considers how to target um, uh, with what sequencing and with what policies um, uh, the the top levels and the middle levels uh, of the um, criminal group. There are other components to it, uh, improving intelligence, a component of which is financial intelligence, going after um, the the middle operational layer of the criminal groups is perhaps the most uh, powerful, most effective uh, strategy. But in the case of Mexico, there needs to be thinking about uh, how to reinforce and tilt toward the state uh, instances where violence subsides, which sometimes happens in Mexico, but unfortunately, over the past two decades, it has mostly uh, happened, not because the state has been effective, because it has been able to beat back the criminal groups, but simply because one or another criminal group prevailed in the particular area. Okay, so it sounds like um, for you, when you're thinking about organized crime and violent crime, the, the key word of law enforcement is um, a very key concept that countries all around the world need to focus on. And I know with Lopez Obrador's uh, security strategy, there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of different things that he talks about and that he says he's doing to address the security issue. But I'm wondering if you had to sum up his security strategy in one word, what word would you choose? Well, I would probably choose militarization, but that is not completely accurate because on the one hand, there is a significant element to the militarization, but at the same time, uh, there is um, another lack of actual plans, strategies, and in fact activities. So maybe the other word I would choose if I had to pick one word would be abstaining, abstaining from law enforcement is in fact, in my view, even more defining than militarization. Now, when Lopez Obrador was campaigning for the presidency, he, like his predecessor, Enrique Peña Nieto, promised that um, he would pull uh, the military uh, back from law enforcement functions, send them back to the barracks and have police forces or what he wanted to create, National Guard, be the deliverer of uh, public safety. And that's not what ended up happening under his presidency. First of all, the National Guard uh, became strongly staffed by uh, members of the military, something that many Mexican administrations had done before, often with problematic outcomes. But importantly, um, the National Guard would continue to operate along with formal military units, uh, which often were dominant, 
And early on in the administration, there was a uh, suggestion that the National Guard would be placed under the command of the army. And there was significant pushback against that from civil society, and uh, the president pulled back from the idea. But what happened, um, uh, of course, in the, uh, this year, just uh, in the last several weeks, is that uh, he has returned the idea, and this time he is determined to, um, uh, uh, to, to get it implemented, to place the National Guard under the command of um, uh, the military forces. Now, that's very significant uh, because along with creating the National Guard, he also dismantled uh, the one federal um, uh, law enforcement agency, police agency, which was the federal police. Uh, the, the federal police had problems. They were corrupt. They were infiltrated, particularly by the Sinaloa cartel. But at the same time, it was the most competent um, law enforcement actor uh, on the ground in Mexico. So by destroying it, pulling it apart, uh, he really eliminated the only national police agency. And now he's placing, uh, despite uh, tremendous legal uh, uh, opposition, despite tremendous civil society opposition, uh, the National Guard uh, under uh, the military, essentially trying to create a system in which in perpetuity, or at least for any foreseeable future, um, the principal public safety would be delivered by the hands of um, a military entity. There are other police forces in Mexico. There are state police and uh, local police. We a little bit talked about the local police. Um, the local police are particularly weak, the local police forces. The other element that I would emphasize here is that um, uh, although Lopez Obrador had early on promised he would focus on local police reform and had few weeks of effort, uh, that was quickly abandoned. And he has since then really decimated the budgets of both uh, state police forces and local police forces, um, essentially gutting any local capacity to do even basic policing, while uh, at the same time um, insisting that uh, the provision of public safety should be delivered by states and municipalities. So he's taken away the resources for them to do it. Uh, he's not built up capacities for them to do it. And he's blaming them for the failure of um, uh, security in Mexico. Okay, so when we, when we take all of this together and you look at all of the trends that are unfolding in Mexico, I'm wondering what grade would you give President Lopez Obrador for his security strategy? Well, I'm I'm afraid it would have to be a D. Um, we already spoke about both the militarization of public uh, security, but I would say even more problematically, really the absence of any kind of national law enforcement um, strategy, and national law enforcement, the absence of a national law enforcement strategy. Uh, even in uh, the face of very dramatic, uh, uh, very visible, very brazen challenges uh, to the state. Uh, we spoke about the narco blockades, but you have the battle um, over Culiacan in uh, 2018, in the fall of 2018, when one of the leaders of the Sinaloa cartel, one of uh, the chapitos of video, was um, arrested uh, by um, the Mexican Navy, and in response to that arrest, 
the rest of the Sinaloa cartel uh, essentially held the city of Culiacan hostage. I was in Afghanistan at the time and I was watching the images from Culiacan over the internet. And um, what we were seeing really was an urban battle um, uh, along the lines that uh, the Taliban would uh, uh, mount in Afghanistan and perhaps in some ways even more dramatic uh, than the Taliban uh, would mount. And the response of the Mexican government under the instructions of Lopez Obrador was to release um, uh, uh, Ovidio, the leader of the Sinaloa cartel, so just abdicating um, to the um, criminal groups. Now, one could make arguments why in that setting in that circumstance that was um, perhaps desirable to save lives of non-combatant citizens, but one would then have hoped to see very strong response to deter any such action in the future, uh, to send a very strong signal that the rule of law is not completely collapsed in Mexico. And we haven't seen that. Now, the reason why I don't give uh, the administration an F uh, is uh, because there is the recognition uh, that uh, law enforcement strategies or security strategies needs to have uh, other components than law enforcement. Now, in the Mexican case, there is no law enforcement. So the, the critical element of the strategy is just vacant, absent, hollow. Uh, but um, there is at least the nominal recognition of um, the need to also have socioeconomic approaches Unfortunately, although this uh, is uh, perceived by uh, President López Obrador as the hallmark of his effort, as I mentioned, many of the socioeconomic programs are very poorly designed. Um, that often amounts to essentially handouts uh, from uh, the president, from the presidency to particular um, uh, segments of population with little oversight, little um, uh, strategy or little considerations as to how transferring this vocational training or this payment will in fact uh, discourage um, young men, young people from joining criminal groups. There is tremendous amount of corruption. Um, in one case, uh, for example, in Michoacan, during my field work, um, I learned uh, of uh, circumstances where men, young boys, 15, 16, who were considered at high risk for joining criminal groups because their parents were, um, their fathers were part of criminal groups uh, or because they already had a violent record, already worked for the cartels, uh, where um, uh, to be part of vocational training as hairdressers. And so various hairdressing shops got um, uh, certain financial transfers amounting to a few hundred dollars uh, from the federal government in order to train them as hairdressers. And what I learned in the research was that the young men would show up with weapons, would force the um, recipients of this uh, state money transfer to give them part of the money, sign a document that they did participate in the four-week course or five-week course, which they did not, um, and so the, that there was no training, they, they stole part of the money and the shop got to um, keep uh, the other part of the money, which is almost a um, uh, farcical uh, outcome, of course, of what these programs are supposed to do. Now, not every single one is as ineffective and problematic as, as this one, 
but many of them are very inchoate, um, like monitoring, like any kind of effectiveness assessments. Uh, maybe if we can shift gears a little bit, I, I wanted to mention some statistics on, on violent crime, and there's something that really stands out to me when I look at the data. Um, I saw that in terms of murders per capita, uh, the state of Estado de Mexico, or Mexico State, uh, the area that surrounds Mexico City, uh, in 2021 was the most violent state in Mexico. And in 2021, Mexico State was also in the top three in Mexico for total homicides. Um, we see that Mexico State recorded over 3,700 murders in 2021, which is significantly more murders than the entire state of California in the U.S. And I also saw some data showing that Mexico State is also the main epicenter for cargo truck hijacking in Mexico. And I'm wondering, is this data surprising to you at all? I know that right now Mexico City is seen as a major tourist attraction um, for people from all around the world and from the U.S. in particular. And I'm wondering, is there a lack of understanding both within and outside Mexico that the area surrounding Mexico City is a major hotspot for violent crime right now? I think that's certainly true um, abroad. Um, I would be surprised if many people really had a very detailed um, picture of the patterns of criminal violence in Mexico and how they are shifting. And we have seen you know, other significant um, uh, developments, such as considerable spike in violence, including some uh, targeting tourists in uh, the Yucatan area, in Cancun, all the way down to Tulum. Um, both Mexico City itself and the state of Mexico have had many um, his, uh, periods in history where they were significantly violent. Um, I am not surprised that um, we see this big spike, but it is very noteworthy that this big spike is taking place. Uh, but we have certainly had many times in Mexico over the past two, three decades, uh, some of the most crucial business areas and um, economic uh, hubs of Mexico uh, becoming hotspots of violence. Tijuana, Ciudad Juarez, uh, Monterey, as criminal groups have been fighting over the control of the legal and illegal economies in those areas. Uh, the other dimension that I would um, um, uh, mention, uh, you know, you spoke, uh, Nate, about the um, uh, significant uh, theft or significant uh, robberies, kidnapping of, uh, of trucks uh, in uh, the state of Mexico. This has been a growing phenomenon in other parts of the country. And the state of Mexico is also one of the leading, perhaps the leading state in the theft of water. Uh, even at the time when um, uh, Monterey has been going through an excruciating drought, and uh, with what massive water shortages and need to deliver water trucks to distribute at least occasionally water uh, to the people. Um, and we have seen a lot of water theft um, uh, in uh, around Monterey, Nuevo Leon, uh, and northern parts of the country. But even as this big drought is happening there, uh, the state of Mexico is also one of the most intense uh, areas of water theft. So, you know, this, in my view, is all just um, 
poignantly emblematic of what happens when the government gives up on any kind of meaningful strategy to counter <clears throat> violent organized crime and violent criminal groups. Uh, uh, it just gives them uh, a license, uh, even if an inadvertent one, uh, to do what they want. Uh, and that's sadly the case in Mexico today. Okay, interesting. So I think one thing is, you know, the trends that are unfolding on the ground. And another thing is the perception of those trends. And I remember over a decade ago when former President Felipe Calderon launched a, a major offensive against Mexico's drug cartels. And there was this sense around the world that Mexico was at war. And Mexico, I think, became tainted with a reputation for being violent and unsafe. Um, and now President AMLO says that the security situation is improving. But I, I looked into the numbers and I, I see that there's something interesting. Um, and it's that just over 40,000 people were killed in Mexico during the first three years of Calderon's government. And over 100,000 people were killed during the first three years of Lopez Obrador's government. And that means that Mexico is more than twice as violent right now as it was when Calderon was supposedly at war with the cartels. And I'm wondering, again, is there a, a lack of understanding both within and outside Mexico about how serious the problems with violent crime and organized crime activity are right now? Well, it is very hard for me to say whether the Mexican government doesn't understand the actual trends and data. I mean, it has access to the same statistics, uh, uh, Nate, that you pick up, um, and that I see many of which come from the um, Mexican National Statistical Office. Uh, so is it the lack of understanding, or is it uh, just the oblivious of the disagreeable? Is it the willing um, ig ignorance uh, of the reality and um, simply abdication of the fundamental um, responsibility of the fundamental purpose of a state, which is to deliver internal security as well as external security. Uh, I fear uh, that uh, the Lopez Obrador administration and the president in particular uh, is operating on a basis of uh, a hope, a false hope, in my view, that if he simply lets the cartel be, if he doesn't interfere with their war, uh, that they will eventually sort it out among themselves and he will not have to uh, mount any kind of strategy. Now, of course, there are connections to the prior administrations, uh, sort of learning uh, what not to do, even if uh, this learning is problematic. Uh, the key element of uh, the strategy of uh, President Felipe Calderon and also to a large extent of President Enrique Peña Nieto was going after the heads of the cartels, the so-called decapitation strategy or high-value targeting. And that um, uh, was a problematic policy, a bad policy that uh, did not decimate the cartels, simply created complex wars among them uh, and uh, even within them over succession. And so when uh, Lopez Obrador came to power, um, he had a tremendous amount of advisors and he, uh, his own learning was, look what happened in the past, uh, high value targeting was problematic, uh, hence let's not do high value targeting. 
uh, reasonable uh, uh, judgment, reasonable uh, implication. However, uh, where I think the administration became really disastrous and what it did was then uh, to say, okay, since high value targeting is problematic, let's not have any law enforcement. Okay. And what about just in terms of, you know, the brand or the image of Mexico? Do you think that there's a sense in the U.S. right now that um, that Mexico is significantly more violent right now than during the Calderon years? Or is that not, not the way Mexico is seen right now? Well, I really cannot speak to any general public uh, perceptions. Um, I haven't seen any surveys, any credible uh, surveys surveying large uh, portions of uh, residents in the United States as to what they believe is the case with uh, Mexico. And you certainly have elements um, such as of the Republican Party that often like to portray uh, Mexico uh, as at war. And there is... um, regularly um, effort in the U.S. Congress to designate the cartels as criminal groups, uh, sorry, as uh, as terrorist groups, um, including because the cartels, of course, are a uh, key conduit of the very lethal fentanyl and other synthetic opioids uh, into the United States. Um, However, you know, even when... um, certain sectors realize uh, just how problematic uh, the lack of security in Mexico is. For example, economic businesses uh, that have maquilas or uh, other kind of um, assets in Mexico, uh, it's not easy to move them out, liquidate them, especially at the time when uh, COVID and relations with China, the the bipolar competition with China is driving um, nearshoring. Uh, Mexico should benefit uh, out of this dramatically, and yet the security situation so critically undermines the economic benefits that Mexico could potentially reap out of it. And when we look at uh, the narco blockades in Tijuana and Ciudad Juarez, jeopardizing access to crossings to the United States, many large businesses will make the calculation uh, that uh, putting um, new investment in Mexico uh, might have to be put on hold until the security situation improves. It's quite separate from liquidating big physical um, sunk costs and assets uh, to which businesses have to react by um, increasing um, significantly the amount of budget they dedicate to um, security of facilities and at least to some extent security of their Mexican employees as well as uh, any foreign employees that are placed in Mexico. So, um, you know, it's very hard to um, assess whether uh, people have an understanding or lack of of how uh, really acutely bad the situation in Mexico is, including because violence uh, goes uh, through phases. It it moves uh, uh, one year the state of Jalisco is the most violent one. Another year it's um, Querero, another year uh, it's uh, the state of Mexico. Uh, but a sort of deeper understanding is of really profound collapse of rule of law and uh, just profound collapse of any deterrence capacity of the state vis-a-vis the cartels. 
Okay, great. So we've really covered a lot of ground in the conversations today, ranging from extortion in the seafood sector to cargo truck hijacking to uh, the robbery of water. Um, so obviously there's a lot of complicated issues at play here, but I'm wondering if you can think about the number one policy solution that you would recommend that Mexico adopt in order to supplement or change the existing security strategy? Right. Returning to having policing, returning to having some law enforcement policy. Now, clearly, I don't want a bad law enforcement policy to be adopted. Uh, And there is an important need to think carefully about what doesn't work, what's problematic, like high value targeting. I could outline a set of law enforcement policies that I think would be much more effective, uh, such as middle-level targeting. There clearly needs to be local policing. But the basic idea is that the state cannot just say to itself, even if quietly, just work it out among yourselves, criminal groups. The state needs to return to having a law enforcement strategy that subjugates the criminal groups to rule of law where the state police forces, law enforcement forces have the authority, have the deterrence capacity. And right now we are not even in a situation where the, the law enforcement strategy is failing. There simply is no law enforcement strategy. So go back to policing. Okay, well, that is a, <laughs> that is a, a simple recommendation, but it seems like... Um... Uh, maybe we shouldn't be overly optimistic that Lopez Obrador will be willing to change or modify his his security policies uh, during his remaining time in office. Um, but overall, I want to say, you know, thank you so much for joining us on, on the podcast. It was really interesting to hear your perspective, Vonda. Um, thank you for having me. To our listeners, I want to say thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Modern Mexico podcast. If you like what you hear in the podcast, check out my book, Searching for Modern Mexico, which is available on Amazon. The next episode of the Modern Mexico podcast is coming soon. Until then, hasta luego, amigos.